Well, today we conclude our fall series of messages. It's hard to believe it's fall, isn't it? Um, On the Holy Spirit, and I have enjoyed studying and growing as a result of my own personal journey with the Holy Spirit in my day-to-day Christian experience. And I thought it would be good for us, before we get into the heart of today's message, to do a brief review, um, because of with the sleep deprivation, I find that I have even forgotten what I preached a few weeks ago. And I want to invite you to pull out your study guides, and I want to go through some of the key passages and thoughts in relationship to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the most urgent of all our needs, and to seek this should be our first work. It is the greatest gift that Jesus wants to give to each one of us. And in your study guide, you'll see this familiar text that we have referenced, John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you but if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. This is right before he goes back to heaven, and he tells them, look, it's a good thing that I'm leaving. The disciples are probably stunned. That's not a good thing, but he says, it's actually advantageous to you that I leave. And the desire of ages expands on this notion of the advantage of Jesus leaving and sending the, hum- the comforter, the helper. Desire of Ages, page 669, the Holy Spirit is Christ's representative, but divested of the personality of humanity and independent thereof, cumbered with humanity, Christ could not be in every place personally. Let's stop right there. Jesus, when he came to this earth, took upon him the form and became a human being, and with that, he divested himself of the ability to be everywhere at once. So he went to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. It goes on, therefore, it was to their interest that he should go to the Father and send the Spirit to be his successor on earth. No one could then have any advantage because of his location or his personal contact with Christ by the Spirit, the Savior would be accessible to all. In this sense, he would be nearer to them than if he had not ascended on high. The beauty is that Jesus went to heaven, but through the Holy Spirit, he can be with us anywhere we may be, even in Anchorage, Alaska. Imagine that. He can be here even though he's in heaven, and it is through the Holy Spirit who is not limited by space and time. He can be everywhere at once. And we went on in 1 John 3, verse 24. It says, and by this we know that Jesus abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. The Holy Spirit will bring the presence of Jesus into us. This is a beautiful concept that Jesus can live within us. You've read those texts in the New Testament, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Well, how does that happen? It is through the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit comes into us, and through the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus is able to dwell within us. And don't you want Jesus not only with you, but in you? I long for Jesus to be inside of us, and this is the miracle of grace. And I don't understand exactly how this all happens, but the Bible is clear that through the Holy Spirit, Christ dwells within us. Here's another reference in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his what? through his spirit in the inner man that, notice this part, that Christ may, what? Dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, and depth, and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a mystery, but it can be experienced. Jesus can and desires to dwell within each one of us through faith, through the Holy Spirit. And as we noted in earlier presentations, we as human beings are not only physical, mental, intellectual individuals, but we are also spiritual people that have the capacity and potential to be filled with the Holy Spirit and also the capacity to be filled with an unholy spirit as well. Remember, Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So we are spiritual vessels, and I don't understand all of the mechanics of how this all works. And there are some things in life that you have to experience to truly know. One of my favorite apples, you know what kind of apple this is? Is the Honeycrisp apple. And to the best of my knowledge, this was an apple that was genetically modified. I don't, I don't know if that's the right word. It's not GMO, but you know what I'm saying. And if you have never tasted a Honeycrisp apple, you're missing out. I want to encourage you to do that. And it is one of those things that you can do a doctoral dissertation on. You can read all about it. I can try to come up with all the adjectives to describe what it's like, how the feeling is when you bite into it. It's not like a red delicious where it's kind of mushy. I don't like that. It is crisp, and the juices just seem to just run down your mouth, and there is an explosion of sweetness on your palate. But you cannot know the experience unless you experience. Isn't that right? You can sit it on your table, you can dissect it, you can analyze it, you can write papers about it, but until you experience it, until you put it into your mouth, you will never truly know what it is like. 
And that's the way the gospel works. And that's why Psalms 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It is experiential. There are certain things that you cannot explain, but you know it's true. Isn't that right? You know in your heart of hearts that it is true, but you can't explain it. How do you explain Jesus living within us through the Holy Spirit? I can't explain it, but I can tell you that I've experienced it and that it's real and that it's transformative. And until you experience it too, I can't put into words exactly what it is like. I was a a young person that had gone through our whole system of education from kindergarten all the way through college and graduate school. This, This has been my experience, but there was a time for a long period where it was simply intellectual. I did not really know it, and until that summer, when I was 18, I know I still look like I'm 18, people tell me, but uh, when I was 18, longer than you think, don't let this baby face fool you, when I was 18, I knelt down in Pennsylvania after a canvassing program, and a friend of mine made the appeal, do you want to invite Jesus into your heart? And I was ready, and I knelt down, and I invited, and I, and I said those words, and I said, Jesus, I want to invite you into my heart today. I can't explain it, but in that moment, Jesus came inside my heart. It, it was a beautiful experience. I remember getting up the next day, and I said, what just happened? And every day, I made that same invitation, asking Jesus into my heart through the agency of the Holy Spirit, and there was a gradual, unconscious transformation that began to develop in my life. And I can't prove it, I can't explain it, but I know that it is real because I've experienced it. Much like I can't tell you what it's like to eat a honey crisp apple until you taste it for yourself. The gospel is experiential. We have to taste and experience it. And as we invite the Holy Spirit in, there is a transformation that takes place in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. This is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, another word for patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, I got the order mixed up, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, how many of you can use more love in your life? How many of you want to be a more loving person? How many of you want more peace in your life? Long-suffering, that's another word for patience. How many of you can use more patience in your home, in your marriage, as parents? How many of you can use more gentleness and self-control? The beauty of the Spirit-filled life is that as Jesus comes into your heart, there is a transformation that takes place. I have this 
Uh, I used it in an earlier presentation. These are the fruit of the Spirit, and you can see that these are the natural results of a Spirit-filled life. And as we talked about in our Sabbath school today, have you ever tried to watch fruit grow? Sat there in front of an apple tree to watch the apples grow. It is painful. But the beauty of it is that even though our own spiritual growth may be unconscious, that daily as we receive of the Holy Spirit, there will be fruit as a result. Amen? It's unconscious, but over time, by the grace of God, someone may say to you, look, what's going on in your life? And you're like, whoa! And the fruits are being manifest. We become a more loving and lovable Christian through the grace of Jesus Christ. And I praise God that we're all the work in progress, amen? It's not about the destination. He continues to work in our lives, but fruit is the natural byproduct of the Holy Spirit living within each one of us. Now, the Bible also indicates that there is certain fruit or certain manifestations of an individual that has the absence of the Spirit. The book of Acts talks about individuals that are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they have certain fruit that are manifest, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. These are the natural results. But the absence of the Spirit also has visible results. The Bible tells us that we should not judge individuals. We are not to judge motives. But the Bible does say, by their fruit, you shall, what? You shall know them. We're not to judge motive, but there are certain evidences that there is an absence of the Spirit in the life. Here is, or here are, some of the visible manifestations of a absence of the Holy Spirit. And let's go through them here. Galatians chapter 5, the same chapter on the fruit of the Spirit. Just before that, in verses 19 to 21, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelry, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you before, in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are visible manifestations that arise naturally out of an individual that simply has the absence of the Holy Spirit. This is not necessarily talking about the extreme of demon possession. This is simply talking about an individual that is working out the natural inclinations of the sinful heart. They will manifest itself in certain behavioral, external characteristics. Now, there are some things on this list that are immediately so abhorrent. You think of murder, whoa, 
or sorcery. These are things that we're just like, oh my, I would never do such a thing. But you'll see that sandwiched between the things that are so abhorrent are things that are very, very common and prevalent. Let's look at some of those things that are in between sorcery and murders. Look at the things that are there. Hatred, contentions, jealousy. Have you ever been jealous before? Outbursts of wrath. Have you ever lost it and just went over the top? Selfish ambition, dissension, heresy, envy. Have you ever been envious? So these are things that we all struggle with from a carnal perspective. These are things that are, that are common and the natural inclination of an individual. It's easy to go and point our finger you know, and say, oh, those murderers or those idolaters out there. But this list is all-encompassing. This is a list that all of us, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, can say, look, I, I struggle with some of these things. It's the natural inclination of the heart. And this is simply when we do not have the Holy Spirit, these fruits are the natural manifestations of what takes place. So the practical application of the Christian experience is rather than going through here and trying to pluck off these bad fruit, is to daily invite the Holy Spirit in. That's the ground of our Christian experience. And as we daily invite the Holy Spirit in, He begins to work in us and through us, not that we don't struggle, not that we don't fall, but through the pattern of our lives and inviting the Holy Spirit in, the transformation begins to take place in our lives. And before long, we begin to look more and more like Jesus Christ. There's also another thing that takes place when the Holy Spirit comes into our our lives. There's a character transformation, but there's also a, a transformation of what we call spiritual perception. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 and 14, it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is, what does it say? From God, the Holy Spirit, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. This is an important consideration for us to recognize in terms of the priesthood of all believers. Is the Holy Spirit limited to just the pastor? No, praise God, it's not. The Holy Spirit is given to all believers. Everyone has this accessibility. So when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, not only does he change our character, but he gives us the ability to know spiritual things. And this gift is given to all. I think of that statement in the book Education that says that the Bible was given for the common man. Generically speaking, of course, the common man and woman. The Bible was given in the language of the people and through the agency of the Holy Spirit, all of us have access to knowledge of biblical truth. And we cannot have this false separation 
between clergy and laity and say, oh, the pastor is the one that should interpret the scripture for us. No, 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 no. The priesthood of all believers implies that all believers have access to knowledge of God through the Holy Spirit. That is the beauty of the gospel. So when Jesus comes into our heart, not only does he change our character, but we are able to perceive and understand spiritual things. I was listening to a sermon by Rob Bell, and he made this application of spiritual knowledge, and he said, and quoted from the text that said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The Old Testament passage, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And he went on to expound and say that the issue with atheism is not so much an issue of the intellect, according to Scripture. It is an issue of the what? It is an issue of the heart. In other words, morality, according to Scripture, is the key ingredient that determines spiritual knowledge. It is not intellect. It is your own heart that determines the spiritual perception. So the invitation of the Spirit into our own hearts is what enables us to know. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So the the fundamental foundational aspect of understanding Scripture, we, we cannot even engage in that without the Holy Spirit because we're talking from two different vantage points. The person that is the natural man, which simply indicates the individual that has the absence of the Spirit, which is manifest by all the things that we listed in Galatians chapter 5, that the conversation cannot even progress if you are not coming from the vantage point of two individuals that have submitted themselves to the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not to say that there is not disagreement, but it does show that the first thing in any type of theological conversation is humility. Amen? Humility. And to come before God and say, Lord, I need help. I need the Holy Spirit to not only change my heart, but also to give me spiritual perception. Jude chapter, Jude verse 18 through 20, they said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers, who will follow their own ungodly desires. They are people who divide you, who follow mere instincts and do not have the Spirit. This is an indication of what's going to happen in the last days. There will be scoffers. They will come in and divide, and they're going according to natural instincts, and the Bible indicates that this shows an absence of the Spirit. But you, dear friend, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. The Bible brings out that as we approach the end of time, there will be a clear delineation between those that are filled with the Holy Spirit and those that are filled with an unholy spirit. 
Now, the Bible also indicates that as we receive the Spirit of God daily, that it is possible to also grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, daily I have the choice whether to allow the Holy Spirit to have access to my heart. It is cooperation with Him that is required. But at any point, I can grieve the Holy Spirit. I can say I don't want Him to transform my life anymore. Now the question is, what can we do that will grieve the Holy Spirit. Here it is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 through 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I want you to notice that the way that we grieve the Holy Spirit is not through an intellectual action, but according to this, the way that we grieve the Holy Spirit is through our interpersonal relationships of how we treat each other. Do you see that? And I would argue that how we treat each other is as important as the gospel. How we interact with each other and how we dialogue with each other and how we relate to each other is fundamental. And the Bible indicates that we can be a spirit-filled person and yet engage in activities and actions that are not cerebral and intellectual so much as interpersonal. And if through our interpersonal relationships we are wrathful, bitter, anger, and are evil speaking, then the Bible tells us that essentially what we have done is shoved the Holy Spirit out the door. In other words, we can be a Spirit-filled person, and yet through these actions we can escort the Holy Spirit out. That is what the Bible is indicating. And yet, on the converse of that, the Bible says, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, inviting the Holy Spirit in involves cooperation. And any time we can choose to escort Him out. And according to this text, the primary way that we escort the Holy Spirit out is through how we treat each other, how we engage each other. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Dennis Smith, in his book, 40 Days of Prayer, says this, if you find that you have grieved the Spirit, don't be discouraged. Ask God to forgive you, and He will, First John 1, 9. Then ask God in faith to fill you anew with His Spirit, and He will do that too, according to Luke chapter 11, verse 13. That is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus is always there. And if we have grieved him by escorting the Holy Spirit out, he's always at the door wanting to come back in. There have been times that 
in my Christian experience, we don't believe in once saved, always saved. Neither do we believe in once filled, always filled. And there have been times in my Christian experience when through a situation or circumstance, I have lost it. You know what I'm talking about. We all fall short of the glory of God. I've said something or I've related to someone that was in a less than Christ-like way. And sometimes I have been absolutely right in my position, but I was absolutely wrong in the way that I engaged that individual. And you know how the Holy Spirit works, and it, is, it happens like this. I'm saying these things, and I'm so right, but I'm so wrong in the way that I am diminishing the other individual. You know, and we have a passive-aggressive way of doing that, don't we? And, you know, or I should say I do. And so you diminish the other individual, and as you are saying those words, because you're so right, but then I'm like, oh, I'm so wrong. And there's sometimes when I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. But, but you feel like it's going to be so good to spew the vitriol. It's just, and then, and then as it goes out, you're like, oh, no, no, no. I've, I, and especially when the other person responds in a different way, I go away and you hear that still small voice, don't you? David, you were right, but you were so wrong. And the sweet spirit says, you know, you're grieving me. You're making me sad. And there is this conversation that takes place. Oh, but they deserved it. You know how it goes. And da, 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 self-justification, rationalize. And you go through this internal battle. And, you know, you ask the Lord for forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit's so sweet and says, you know, you're forgiven. And, and then says, you know, you need to go to that person. So you go to that person. And you'll find that 99.9% .9 of the time when you go to that individual and you say, you know what? Without giving a lot of fine print of excuses. You say, I am sorry, I hurt you. What is their response? Very gracious, very gracious. And this is the journey with the Holy Spirit. That is the journey that we go through. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, but he is always there and he's, he woos our hearts and through this internal dialogue with the Holy Spirit, there is a softening influence that takes place. And we all need that softening influence, amen? We all need the sweet spirit of Jesus. And one of the greatest continual reminders when I am tempted to view a person or a circumstance a certain way the Holy Spirit comes to me and says, David, how have I related to you? And it is through that vantage point that I recognize that the Lord has given me chance, hasn't he? Has given you chance after chance after chance after chance always so patient, so bearing, so long-suffering, so bearing uh, with us through the whole experience that he says, look, what I have done with you in this relationship, I want that to be channeled out to other individuals. The Holy Spirit, the greatest gift that can be given to each one of us, 
and I know that all of us have heard his voice. Amen? On a continual basis through this experience. I think of David in Psalm 51. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You know the context of Psalm 51? He has just murdered a man and taken his wife. Prior to that, he committed adultery with her and fathered a child later on. So it is through this context that we have this prayer and the beauty of how grace works and how God related to David. Create in me a clean heart. This is a prayer that we all can pray and renew a steadfast spirit within me and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Our final quote, this is a beautiful promise. Desire of Ages 173, take this and meditate on it, claim it. When the Spirit of God takes possession of the heart, it transforms the life. Sinful thoughts are put away. How many of you want sinful thoughts to be put away? Things that come across your consciousness. Evil deeds are renounced. Love and humility take the place of anger envy, and strife. Joy takes the place of sadness, and the countenance reflects the light of heaven. Friends, we as a community of faith, we need the Holy Spirit, individually and corporately, in our homes, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our, in our workplace, in our associations with one another, we need the oil of the Holy Spirit to smooth and soften and subdue our hearts on a day-to-day basis, to be broken and built up through His presence and through His working. And how many of you would like to say with me, Lord Jesus I want you to live within me through the Holy Spirit. How many of you want that so that you can reproduce your character in my life? Father in heaven, Lord, there is nothing good within us naturally, but we praise you that through the Holy Spirit that you can produce a loving and lovable Christian in each one of us. Father, we long to be like you, We long to have the character of Jesus, and we thank you that by beholding, we become changed, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Lord, create in us a deeper desire for the Spirit and for the presence of Jesus to abide in our hearts. Create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.